Hello and welcome everyone to the Sports Unite podcast. This is episode 20, made it to 20, and uh, sorry about not having an episode. We had one recorded and it just decided to pick up and leave. It didn't want to be heard by the internet and everyone listening, so re-recording this and releasing it this week. Thank you so much for your patience and coming back to listen. Hopefully you're enjoying the show. If you are, please share us on our social media pages, Sports Unite Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and Sports Unite Pod 1 on Twitter. We do have some sad news. Uh, Gail Sayers, the legendary NFL running back, died this week at age 77. He was an all-around great person on the field, off the field, a fan favorite, and he's also known for the TV movie Brian's Song, where it was adapted from a speech that he gave while receiving the NFL's Most Courageous Award, which is an award they used to give out. And in his speech, that he told everyone that he was going to give his this award to his close friend, old roommate, who was battling cancer because he was the most courageous one. And uh, go watch some of his clips. A great running back to study how he revolutionized the running back position, how lean and just crisp his running was and how he was able to just switch on a dime. So we are going to miss Gale Sayers, but we have all of his wonderful time on film to go back and watch. We're going to lead it off with the WNBA playoffs. So the WNBA is in a bubble like the NBA and the NHL, and they've worked their way to a playoffs. So uh, the way that they structured their playoffs was that the first and second seed got a bye right to the semifinals. Seed three and four would wait in the second round uh, for the winners of the first round playoff matchups to play them then. So the way uh, that it started was the five seed would play the eight, seven versus the six in the first round, and then go from there. So in the five versus eight game, uh, Shea Petty hit a game-winning three with seconds to spare to send the Phoenix Mercury on to the next round over the Washington Mystics. In the six versus seven, the seventh seed Connecticut Suns defeated the Chicago Sky 94-81, and they were off to the second round. In the second round, we had the Minnesota Lynx, who was fourth, uh, beat the Phoenix team 80-79 to in a very close matchup, uh, but Minnesota is moving on. In the other matchup, the 7th seed Connecticut Suns defeated the legendary LA Sparks 73-59. So a shocking upset there as these were all one-game eliminations. We move into the two semifinal matchups. The number one seed, Las Vegas Aces, against the 7th seed Connecticut Suns. And a lot of people's favorites, the second seed, Seattle Storm, versus the fourth seed, Minnesota Lynx. And as that goes into the WNBA Finals, we will keep it updated for you. And we have a final in the Island Games. Forge FC have claimed the CPL Island Games with a 2-0 win over Halifax Wanderers in the Finals. As we uh, explained in our previous episodes that the way the Island Games was, was all the teams play and the top four move on. They play round robin and the top two make it to the finals. So Forge and Halifax made it to that final and it was a 2-0 win. Uh, 
Huge success for the CPL. Very much kudos. Hats off to you. I cannot wait to see what the 2021 season brings. Hopefully, I'll able be able to make a game or two. But before that, Forge now play TFC in the Canadian Championship to earn the right to the CONCACAF Champions League in 2021. Forge FC still has a chance at the CONCACAF Champions League as getting a spot uh, for the 2021 as they're still competing in the CONCACAF League for 2020, which looks to resume in October. We'll have to wait and see on that one, but we'll keep an eye on it uh, going forward. So they still have a pretty good shot at making the Champions League either by beating TFC sometime in the fall or keep going in the CONCACAF League. The MLS Canadian teams have moved down south for the rest of their games. All the rest of their home games for TFC, Vancouver Whitecaps, and the Montreal Impact will be played in the United States. Toronto will play out of Connecticut, Vancouver will play out of Portland, Oregon, and Montreal will play out of New Jersey. After playing each other in Canada, uh, going back and forth, uh, they had to play someone else. They couldn't just keep playing. So it was deemed that they did have to make the move down south to continue to play and hopefully move forward into the playoffs. Uh, like many leagues, the playoffs have altered just slightly going forward for the MLS this year. They had that wonderful tournament in Orlando. And now they're still going to go through with the MLS Cup. The way it is now with the playoffs is uh, they have restructured it to eight teams will qualify. Now the West only have 12 teams in there uh, where all eight teams, one to eight, that's how you will determine the positions in the West. In the East, they have 14 teams. The top six will qualify automatically, whereas teams seven to 10 will play a play-in match that should be exciting, kind of like Wild Card Weekend for baseball. As of currently recording, TFC sits in fourth, while Montreal is in eighth place in the east. Vancouver sits in seventh in the west, so all Canadian teams are in a playoff spot currently, but there's still plenty of games to go, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. Uh, good luck the rest of the way, and keep playing well. We have a new... Canadian women's basketball team member joining the TSN crew. Kia Nurse, who is a staple on the Canadian women's basketball team and in the WNBA, will be a new basketball analyst, which is huge and will start immediately as her team, uh, the New York Liberty, have been eliminated. She will be going uh, starting immediately with doing NBA and Canada's efforts to make the 2021 Olympics, uh, but she's going to be doing dual roles, so she will continue to play in the WNBA and for Team Canada. She's going to be a busy lady, but uh, she has a wonderful insight uh, if you've seen her do her stuff during March Madness or when she's not participating, so kudos to you, and we hope that this brings forward uh, more women's leagues being in the just a staple of what we see on SportsCenter and being broadcast because they're always exciting. So hopefully this brings forward uh, big, big swing changes into uh, the way we view sports. Baseball. 
Oh, baseball. What would we do without baseball? I guess be bored from middle of June to September? We'd have to start watching preseason football? Oh, there's a scary thought. Uh, Baseball is still going and almost done. I know, in a blink of the eye, we were complaining about baseball. They did their thing, and it's almost over. They played their 60 games. This weekend coming is the end of the season, which is crazy to think. But it's almost there. So we're going to give you what has happened and where the Blue Jays sit and where everyone sits because that's what you want to know. You want to know what the Blue Jays are doing, if they're doing well. Well, remember, this year we're having an expanded playoff format. Right? Like, So the way that it uh, is going so far is eight teams will make the playoffs. Now, this is going to get a little confusing, but essentially they are going to go to a bubble site because baseball saw how well it worked for hockey and basketball, but not right away. No, 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 no. That's not how baseball goes. So the way it's going to go is in the first round of the playoffs, which is the wild card, is a best of three. Then it moves to a best of five, which is normally, and then best of seven. Now the wild card, that will not be... A bubble that's going to be home team kind of back and forth then after that it goes to the bubble site which will either be LA or Texas depending on what league you're in so starting September 30th so next week and till October the 2nd that's when the wild card round will start so get ready baseball Playoffs are happening. If you enjoy playoff baseball, it's coming quick and fast. So that round will be best of three. The next round after that will start October the 6th and go to the 10th. And those are going to be best of five. And that's when they're going to transition to the bubble sites. The next round, which will be the kind of series, not the World Series, but Divisional Series, Uh, will go from October 12th to the 18th. And then the World Series takes place the 20th to the 28th. That will be played in Texas, has already been determined. So kind of like hockey where the finals were moved to uh, Edmonton, same thing for the World Series. So it's going to be a super fast month of playoff baseball where you get best of three, best of five, and best of seven. Super, super quick. Now, who are the players? Who should you be rooting for? So, as of, say, uh, day before. So, as of September 23rd, because not all games are complete tonight. Uh, this, These are the standings. In the American League, the Tampa Bay Rays are in first. Then we have the A's, the Oakland A's, Minnesota Twins, the White Sox, the Yankees, Astros are your top six. So the way it works in the playoffs this year is you have each uh, league has three divisions. So the first place team is usually guaranteed a playoff spot. So they're all in. They get the top three seeds. Then in this year, 
the three second place teams will get a buy into the playoffs as well. And then two wild cards, which essentially are the next two best third place teams. So the Rays, A's, and Twins are all first place. White Sox, Yankees, Astros are second place. Then in the wild card, we have Cleveland and the Blue Jays. So as of right now, the Blue Jays are in a playoff spot, which would mean they are in the playoffs for the first time since 2016. They're not clinched yet. They are still two teams that potentially could move ahead of them. Uh, the Angels and the Mariners are the only other teams who have not been eliminated. So uh, if Toronto wins tonight and Friday night and uh, the Angels or Mariners lose, uh, they're pretty much on the brink. Uh, they have to win out and Toronto has to lose out uh, for something to change. But it looks like Toronto will be heading to the playoffs. In the National League, as of uh, the 23rd standings, we have the Dodgers, the Braves, and the Cubs, who are all first place teams. The Padres, Cardinals, and Marlins, kind of surprising, in the second place. And currently, the Giants and Reds hold the wild card. And a lot of teams are still not eliminated uh, going for those two wild card positions. Many teams are one game back to four, even five games back, uh, although the five games back are probably going to be eliminated. But there are two teams who are only one game back. So it's going to be a very, very exciting drive to the final weekend for the National League playoff, which is what baseball needs. Baseball needs down to the wire instead of teams clinching in, I mean, teams clinching in early September is good for those teams. But that means usually the rest of the division is not very good. So you can rest, just have your starters not play for two to three weeks or play a limited amount so that they're fresh for October. We'll have to see uh, what happens. Uh, I hope the Phillies make it in. I'm very also excited for the Padres. Uh, to make it in, they are ruffling feathers with their uh, don't care about traditional baseball rules, unwritten rules. I think that was a load of hogwash when that happened. But uh, the Padres look to be making something special. Phillies, uh, they also have a group of fans who meet outside and watch as best as possible the game from outside the stadium. The team is on board with this. They take safety measures. Uh, so I give a big thumbs up to people creating unique opportunities uh, and still showing support for the team they like safely, of course, during this pandemic. Although it's it's also outside, so it's going to get very cold very soon in Philadelphia. I guess not as cold as Canada really quick. So they might be able to do it, but when the team moves to LA or Texas, that won't uh, be an issue anymore. Uh, and also do the Dodgers. I feel so bad. They've been on the cusp Sometimes I don't feel bad, but with what happened with the Astros, uh, might be this might be the time, or the last time really, before they kind of have to blow stuff up. So we'll check back uh, once the playoffs get underway. Now we're going to head to our segment, News That Will Unite Us All. 
The NFL is up and running, so hopefully your fantasy teams are doing well. Some teams are allowing a limited number of fans into the stands. And this past week, a funny, funny story with a happy ending uh, occurred with a couple of fans and the Colts' Darius Leonard. Leonard gave his game-worn gloves to a few young fans in the stands when leaving the field and actually accidentally left something inside his glove. A very important piece of jewelry, some of you might have it, a wedding ring. While some players wear rubber rings uh, when playing, others still wear whatever metal one they have, uh, and his came off in his glove when he gave it away. The young fans uh, and the adults with them realized really quickly and sent a tweet out a few minutes later. Uh, Darius replied uh, with, I need that, and a bunch of crying, laughing emojis. The ring was safely returned, and a fun story is now uh, given to the fans and uh, Leonard, and much-needed good story for 2020, I think. Also, we have a very fun story out of Brazil, where during a women's soccer match, uh, we had an intriguing intruder. Uh, you might have seen a few. They're blue and yellow. They fly. Uh, we had a blue and yellow macaw fly on and land on a player's head. So uh, the parrot clearly wanted a VIP experience with the game, uh, but didn't want to sit in the stands or uh, anywhere in uh, off the pitch, and he landed on the head of Bruna Bentes. Uh, after a little while, uh, someone came with the game ball to try and entice the macaw off, who hopped on the ball for the second before deciding... I don't want to be on the ball. I want to go into the goal. So he flew onto the goal, sat on the net for a little while, and then flew away. Apparently, this macaw is uh, from a uh, a neighbor in the neighborhood and owns the macaw. And the macaw flies around the stadium frequently. Uh, never has uh, gone up to a player, landed during a game. So it was quite the video to take a look at. Benitez, who is a national team member, was not quite sure what to do, uh, but she knew to stay still, not have the talents get into her head, uh, and uh, now she has a crazy story. Uh, so go look up that video. It's quite hilarious. Gives you a chuckle and puts a smile on your face, especially if you like animals uh, or if you like wacky things happening. We're going to now head it to our sports report and last time we had Theo giving us a perspective of being a Canadian student athlete well this week we have Rachel who is going to give us an NCAA view of what it's like to be a student athlete in America for a Canadian so let's go to Rachel all right and we are here with this week's sports report uh this week we are continuing our look into uh being a student athlete with a little bit of a different twist this week uh this week we have uh rachel welcome to the show hi so, excited to be here and answer all your questions justin <laughs> i am very happy to be here also very happy to see you it's been a long time so why don't you tell all the listeners out there a little bit about yourself Sure. So I live in Ottawa. Um, I grew up in Ottawa, just outside of it, I guess, in Richmond. And um, as a kid, really, I love sports. I love to be in all sports. Um, I was very fortunate that my parents just kind of threw me in anything. 
I got to try a bunch of different ones like soccer, tennis, baseball, figure skating, and obviously swimming. Uh, that's kind of where I, um, I excelled and, and really, really enjoyed. Um, but as an adult, um, I went to Michigan State as a student athlete. I was lucky enough to get a scholarship down there excelled through it absolutely loved it um, I also studied anthropology down there which was really really cool and uh, after swimming really after my uh, four years in the states I came back to Canada um, I actually took a year off school to kind of figure everything out uh, what I wanted to do with that anthropology degree and um, I actually landed in a museum program and uh, from that museum studies program I uh, steamballed into a um, HR program so now I work in HR um, and absolutely love it I get to deal with people on a daily basis and it's something I really really love awesome so you kind of mentioned that your your parents were able to uh, allow you to try all different types of sports uh, you seem you were probably pretty busy uh, what was a, a daily week? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Were you going from sport to sport, or uh, did you like some and kind of stopped others? Yeah, so um, I found it really quick that I wasn't all that coordinated. So um, any sport with a ball, <laughs> so that soccer, tennis, baseball wasn't really my forte. Um, it wasn't until I was doing or changing back between uh, soccer and swimming that I uh, really found my love for the sport and um, figured out that, hey, I don't really need too much hand-eye coordination for this and um, decided to kind of drop it at the age of nine and uh, start swimming full-time. Um, when I started swimming full-time, now as a nine-year-old, you're not swimming that much. It's maybe, maybe four times a week. Um, but by the time I uh, got up to the senior group, so 16, 17, 18, I was swimming up to nine times a week. So twice a day um, and that kind of stuff. And Saturday mornings too, which wasn't always the greatest as a high school student when all your kid friends are going out on Friday nights, but I did it and um, loved it. Loved it, loved, loved it, loved it. Uh, was there a, a sport that you absolutely enjoyed watching uh, live or on TV, but didn't really wish to or want to participate? <laughs> um, to be honest, I really didn't get into watching sports on TV. Um, I didn't have that time to sit down and enjoy um, learning about the sports um, and, and watching them. Um, it wasn't really until after university when I retired from swimming, we'll say, <laughs> uh, that I started enjoying um, hockey and football or, or even attending um, the actual games at the stadiums. And I really think that's from my experiences at uh, Michigan State. Um, the football down there is absolutely wild. Um, it got me really into it and uh, something that I do enjoy watching and even sometimes throwing a ball around but again my hand-eye coordination still <laughs> the greatest right so um yeah I do enjoy watching them now and, and do take the time to kind of keep an eye out on who's doing what and what teams are doing well but yeah as a as a kid I didn't really it wasn't something that I would sit down and do and watch um sports just didn't have the time <laughs> You said uh, you fell in love with swimming at about age nine. Now, did your parents put you in swimming lessons before that? Yeah, so um, I did that mom and taught or parent and taught class swimming 
at the age of one or younger. I don't know actually when I actually started swimming. Um, but I'll remember that my parents um, always said that I was a water baby. Loved it, loved it. And um, would always just want to stay in the pool. Like I was upset when I had to leave that water. So as a kid, yeah, I did those those swimming lessons. Yeah. Uh, so when would you say that uh, swimming uh, gets competitive? So you started at about age nine. Would you say that it was competitive or more just kind of mm. once you yeah. hit kind of uh, middle school or high school that it is uh, more competitive? For me, um, it was definitely in middle school when I started to really um, catch, um, because it was actually my coach that convinced me that I I'm good at swimming. I, I'm a decent swimmer. Um, and I needed to start to do those morning practices. So it was middle school, probably grade six, where I started to show up late for the morning class. And um, I think that's when it started to really become competitive for me. Um, but me, I'm a very competitive person in nature. Um, so it might've, I might've had a little bit of it um, at a younger age, but definitely really got into it and started figuring out that this is what I wanted to pursue and, and do. Yeah. So uh, like you said, you're from just outside of Ottawa, or the rural part of Ottawa, if you will. Uh, yes. In quotations. Uh, <laughs> did you, uh, did you uh, start to swim out of Richmond or did you have to go into Ottawa proper uh, for that? Yeah, so I actually, I swam out of Nepean. I swam with the Nepean Canada Barracudas. Um, so from Richmond, that's about a 25-minute drive um, from home. So it wasn't getting bad. <laughs> then I realized, holy cow, this is difficult. Um, but I did it, and I absolutely loved it. Um, but yeah, it was great. Uh, now here's a somewhat hard question. Where is your favorite place to swim? Not a hard question at all, Justin. Um, I absolutely love the um, Parc Jean Drapeau pool in Montreal. Um, it was actually created for the 11th World Championships. It's a large 50 meter pool. They actually have two large 50 meter pools. Um, but because it was recreated for that world championship, um, it was on par with Olympic requirements and it, it just made you feel that you were actually swimming professionally. And um, I mean, outside, I, I love swimming outside. <laughs> the only um, downfall of it is the backstroke because you're getting blinded by the sun, but it was cool and a great pool to compete at. <laughs> Did you ever get to uh, swim or compete at the uh, Olympic stadium pool? I did. I did actually um, quite a few times. It was a popular pool to swim at because again, it was Olympic size and, and had that Olympic caliber um, kind of atmosphere to it. And uh, that's actually I, uh, kind of a fun story. One of the swim meets we went to there, uh, Michael Phelps actually attended. So it was kind of cool. Um, I, I got to meet and actually see him swim in person, which was That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. <laughs> I've uh, I've been able to swim there as well, not competitively, and no famous people. I actually almost drowned there because someone was holding oh, me no. underwater. <laughs> <laughs> well, because the fifty meter pool it, in regulation, it has to be at least four and a half feet deep, right? Mm -hmm. And the deeper it is, usually the quicker the pool is. I think uh, at least that's what I've been told. Um, but yeah, so it was probably 
pretty deep pool <laughs> if you're not used to it. It's, but yeah, especially for grade five me, couldn't touch the bottom, so. No. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you're into competitive swimming now. Uh, you're getting into that, uh, into high school. And it's taking up a lot of your time. Was there kind of a, a, a decision that you had to make with yourself to, you know what, I'm going to put a lot of my full effort into this because I'm really good and I enjoy it? Uh, or was there like a, I'm going to keep doing it, but I'm not really psyched about it. Did you have to have that conversation with yourself uh, in high school as a young adult? Yeah, I guess so. Um, of course, there's things pulling you away from swimming, right? Your friends aren't all um, that hardcore, I guess, in those sports. Like there are those high school sports that don't really take up that much time. Or sorry, they might take up as much time, but um they're not nine times a week. Right. Um, and like I said before, it was really that, um, middle school and grade six, um, that I kind of had that discussion with myself and I really figured out that this is something I wanted to do and I wanted to become better, a better swimmer. Um, yeah, for sure. Now, of course, every little kid dreams of, uh, you know, going to world championship or going to the Olympics uh, some sports allow you to do that. Other sports uh, just haven't been added to the Olympics yet. Did you ever think, hey, maybe one day I can make it to the Olympics? Um, to be honest, I never really thought about it. I was always kind of in the now and trying to uh, get that personal best and attain that next goal that I wanted. Um, so not that I didn't aim high and for the Olympics, but it was also just kind of making sure that I loved what I was doing. And I think if I made that goal way too high and out of reach, not that it could, it could have been in reach. Um, but it, it was something that I, I didn't really think about. It was always like, what is the next personal best or maybe next um, time zone that I could have attained. So in swimming, there are, um, I guess there's regional times, provincial times, and then you hit the national times. Um, but even in nationals, uh, they're split up by junior and senior. So the senior times are um, what you go for to make those Olympic cuts um, and to go to those world trials or uh, Olympic trials. Um, so yes, it was something that I dreamed of doing maybe, but it, it, I never really thought too much about it. It was always what was the next best time I could achieve. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I looked up to those Olympic swimmers and was in awe every time an Olympic record or world record was broken. And um yeah, it, it could have been a goal, but I, I never got there, and I don't regret not making it there. Um, but yeah, I guess my passion was just to make that next time. That's such a responsible answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as a high school student, crazy to think that I thought like that. <laughs> That's why she's in HR, folks. That's always responsible. <laughs> so... Uh, as you uh, discover that you're very, very good and uh, you keep, keep competing, uh, was it, uh, did you ever have that think like, oh, maybe I could swim uh, in post-secondary or were you just kind of like, oh, I'm going to keep swimming and if something happens, that's cool? Um, for post-secondary, um, a lot of the older swimmers I swim with, um, so when I made it to like those senior uh, level groups, um, they started going off to university and it was always in the spring when they came back that they would have all these amazing stories of going to school um, and being a student athlete. 
Um, no, I never really thought I would end up in the States. I was always, um, thinking I was going to go to Guelph, to be honest, uh, Guelph university. That was somewhere I wanted to go. I loved, I already knew the team, most of them, um, and loved the coach. Um, but it wasn't until that double clearing house, uh, just for fun to see what happened, um, that Michigan state actually contacted me and, uh, gave me a deal that I couldn't refuse. It was, a uh, an amazing recruit trip that I got to go down and meet the team and see the school and the atmosphere. Um, and I, yeah, it was something that I just had to do and try out. And uh, I guess be one of those um, older swimmers that I guess the young kids could look, look up to and um, maybe develop that dream to go to the States and um, kind of pursue um, NCAA swimming. So before we get into uh, the NCAA part, uh, what was it like swimming uh, for a, uh, for, I guess, a big city uh, club team. Uh, when we talked with Theo, uh, he was, you know, small town, rural yeah. New Brunswick. Uh, mm-hmm. So what's, what would you describe as your experience uh, with the team uh, in a big city? Sure. Um, my experience in a big city swimming. Uh, it, it was a massive team. Like there were a ton of nine to all the way up to 18 and even younger um because when I started I actually started in that uh, kind of I can swim fast program and that's where um they approached me (laughs) and said hey you should maybe try racing um so that's how I got into it but it was a massive team and there were other teams in Ottawa that just as big so it was kind of neat to have um, those big swim meets and having people all in a row lining the entire 50 meter pool deck cheering on for your team um, to see that um, kind of how the team works and uh, cheering for people and always having someone to go to and kind of cheer on and ask them how the race went um, and things such as that. So I really enjoyed swimming with a big team and uh, even coaching the little kids that swam with us um, from time to time was really, really fun as well. Now, did you get to do a lot of, uh, it sounds like you did a lot of competitions and traveling. Uh, how many competitions would you say you would do in a year? Or what was your season oh, per se? Um, yeah, so as a club swimmer, um, we probably swam, gosh, we probably only August off. Um, maybe even August off once I meet the national uh, time zones, because they were usually um, at the beginning or middle of July. Um, so it was like a year round sport. I like even taking August off, I was still kind of doing that dry land training. Um, there, but, uh, competitions, they were, there were so many a year. Um, there are sometimes maybe there'd only be one a month or, uh, like up to two a month. So it was every second weekend, almost going to a different competition, um, all around Ontario up to Montreal. Um, I've been to, uh, Winnipeg, um, gosh, where else? Calgary, Edmonton, um, out in Vancouver even. So it, it, all over Canada, I was lucky to go to. And uh, we did do one yearly trip to Toledo, Ohio, just for kicks um, to try it out. But it was very, very busy competition season. There was always a, a next one to go to. And yeah, so every second weekend, if not maybe only once a month, but yeah, very, very busy for uh, competitions. That's very busy. (laughs) 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 Diversity, it was not as busy. 
Um, but when we were going away and say leaving on a Thursday, we had special letters that we had to give to our prof saying, Rachel will not be in class today for um, a swimming or swim meet, essentially a competition. And um, especially for their smaller seminars, it was really important, but the classes and the professors were all so, so nice that it was easy to do. And even in high school, me showing up, school started at eight o'clock and showing up at 8.30 because I came from practice. Um, I was very, very lucky that everyone in my life was very accommodating um, to my swim schedule. It's always good to have a positive, uh, you know, support team. Because mm -hmm. honestly, that helps drive you to whatever dream you have. And if you don't have a good support team, then it just, that's your base. If you don't have a base, yeah. then you crumble. Support system. You're exactly right. Like if your coaches and your friends aren't there, like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. So <laughs> it was definitely very, very nice uh, to have that support and um, have teachers and professors uh, that were there and understood what I was trying to do. So it's coming time. How many schools would you say uh, showed interest in you and was there kind of a, a difference uh, between the uh, Canadian schools and American schools because uh, mm -hmm. we got to hear Theo's story Theo kind of was uh, given the choice because his coach coached both his club and his school mm -hmm. uh, so going into uh, you were going to go away because Ottawa and Carleton don't really have swimming programs so what was that uh what was that like um it was interesting um because i really i only put my name in for american schools pretty late in the game um it was actually just kind of on a, a whim that i decided hey let's see what if i put my times in and my name and see if anyone gets in contact with me um but it was because i always thought I was staying in Canada. I always thought I was going to go to Guelph and this was going to be my swim program. Um, it was neat to see. I think I had about three schools reach out to me. Um, one of them obviously being Michigan State, um, the one I went with. Um, but yeah, it was, it was interesting to see the different dynamics between even the American and Canadian schools. Um, scholarships were different um, in a sense. Um, not in a sense, they were very different um, in what they could offer me. So I think because student athletes in the States are just kind of held to that, just a higher, little bit of a higher level than in Canada, it was kind of that I had to try it. It was the attraction of just seeing like what these people do and just the stories you hear of the competitions and um, even just attending football games, just seeing that it's almost like it's a mini NFL down there, college football, when you think, right? So it's, it's nuts. It's a whole different level of school. Um, even like the stadiums, I'm talking about football here, but the stadiums, the one at Michigan State holds uh, 78,000 people. Like, I don't know how big the Red Black Stadium is, but it's freaking wild to think about that it could be kind of on par, right? So that was that kind of attraction in the kind of like dangling of the carrot that I, I just couldn't couldn't refuse uh, to see how it actually works. So just a little bit little differences, but that that little that little carrot that I had to chase after, I guess, uh, to try the states. Hmm. So yeah, so I will say, uh, so the Red Black Stadium TD Place holds twenty five thousand. Oh, okay. So well. it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> minuscule compared to the 78,000 
or even the big house uh, on Michigan, the other side yeah. of Michigan that holds a hundred thousand people, which is just yeah, 103, banana- 103. Yeah. Something just like that. Yeah. Bananas to think of. Yeah. Yeah. Just when you hear everything is bigger in America, like that's, <laughs> I mean, like, it's kind of true. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's the cool thing is that in Canada, you always see or hear stories about student athletes, not so much in Canada because it's, it's just not the same level. Mm-hmm. And it it's really cool that, that, you know, in that little intrigue and the earworm mm-hmm. was just what drew yeah. you there. Plus the visit. So becoming an NCAA athlete, that's, I know a lot of Canadian athletes kind of dream because that's in certain sports, that's your ticket to an easier way to get noticed by the big leagues. So you go down there, what's, what's the atmosphere? Do you feel or have you, did you feel different compared to what uh, friends who might have gone to Canadian colleges kind of felt? I felt different um maybe canadian athlete um it was just a bit different as a canadian athlete going to the states sorry um because in swimming they swim in yards down there right and that's the majority of their um their season is in yards um it doesn't happen until after that until kind of the college season is over that they do that uh, the meter swimming the long distance or the 50 meter swimming story just swimming in that 25 yard pool uh bang my head a couple times because the flags were in yards and not meters so just that adjustment that i had to make um was a bit different i would say and um that earworm like we were talking about earlier that carrot um it was there it was something that it was enticing and um just being treated kind of at that higher level um now i can't say it was a higher level because i never really experienced the canadian swimming um in university it was just kind of being on cloud nine um it was very very cool to experience so you've learned it here folks that they swim on football fields because they (laughs) swim in yards which seems absolutely bonkers but uh that's non-metric for you so yeah uh, was i i imagine because michigan's just right next door to ontario and really close to canada it wasn't Mm -hmm. probably that different for them to have lots of canadian athletes uh but were you treated a little differently because you were canadian or had a did they haze you a little bit more because you're Canadian and make you speak in your accent? Eh? And- yeah, well, yes. Um, <laughs> luckily enough, uh, the sprint coach, um, she was actually Canadian. She's from Ottawa, funny enough. Um, but anytime I said sorry, I would get poked at for that. Like, because how we say sorry, it's not sorry. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> especially in Michigan, they kind of have that kind of age roll a little bit. Um, so I was poked at about that, but the hazing, we didn't really have any hazing. Everyone was really, really nice and, uh, more so just curious about how Canadian swimming was different than American swimming. Um, I was also really lucky to swim with, um, someone from New Zealand, um, as well as Japan. So it was neat to see, uh, the differences they had as well. Um, it was more so they were a little bit more like mine in the Canadian sense, um, having that meters problem, 
um, the accents, little things like there wasn't really any hazing and everyone was pretty accommodating and only poked at me a few times. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, was it hard to balance uh, your classes and practice and competition uh, since it was, I'm going to guess your season started maybe a little bit about November. So after kind of the big rush of the football season, uh, did you have a harder semester uh, like a winter semester over uh, the fall semester? Really, to be honest. Um, so we did do kind of, the, they weren't real swim meets because we were swimming against people outside of our Big Ten uh, division. So it was kind of like the local schools that we would just compete against just to kind of start our swim season. And, and that was pretty much right away um, September. We would get right into it. Um, it was more so maybe October when we hit the uh, end of October when we hit the more um, Big Ten uh, uh, competitions um, but yeah I, I didn't really for school um, have an easier winter or, so, or um, fall semester because uh, we practice pretty much right up until our big 10 championship which was in February so my um, what are they called <laughs> semester sorry <laughs> Just out of mental block. My semesters, they were pretty even. I didn't have an easier or a hard one. Um, the only thing that I really had trouble with is we swam in the morning from like 6 or 5.30 to 7.30 for two hours in the morning and then I'd have to run to an 8 a.m. class. So that was never fun. I would quickly change, throw on, I don't know, God knows what, pretty much my pajamas to get to class at 8 a.m. <laughs> and then, uh, then going back at night, um, as well so we had the we started at four and maybe went until six thirty or something like that depending if we had weight training or um uh, training before that so it depends we weren't always in the pool so i guess sometimes you could say we had three practices a day depending on the day and what we were doing things like that so yeah, afternoon classes were really hard to book as well as during the day. And it was lucky if I got a nap <laughs> in between classes and, uh, and prep. Uh, so a lot of people know uh, traditional sports and how they work. Swimming is uh, a little different. And if you're not really following it, you might not know how it works. So uh, mm -hmm. we've kind of heard uh, from the Canadian side, but how many people uh, were on your team? On my team, um, I think in my four years down there, probably the biggest, I guess, women's swimming and diving team we had was probably about 30, I'd say. Um, and then men's, it was actually smaller than men's team. Uh, probably about 30 was max for them as well. So maybe 60 in total. Um, but you didn't really see that because we had three different groups. Um, we had our sprinters um, and then we had our main group which was more so the, the different strokes. So you would do like the, the butterflies, the backstrokes, the breaststrokes, um, and they would be the kind of like the shorter distances as well. So those 200s and maybe 400s. And then you had my group, which was the distance group. And my group was actually a bit smaller because not a lot of people like swimming the distance, right? <laughs> oh. Um, at max at one point, this is in different schedule times. Um, we didn't really get in each other's way, which was really nice. Um, but yeah, probably biggest team at one time uh, in my four years, probably about 60, I'd say. 
What was uh, the pool like at Michigan State? <laughs> um, it was okay. It wasn't the best pool that you could have swam at. Um, it was actually weird length. It was a uh, 33 and a third long. Yes. So we didn't swim that. We swam the 25 yards, or maybe it was a bit longer because um, we had a small diving tank. So we had our 25-yard pool, and then there was about – I don't know how much longer um, for a dive tank because we were that swim and dive team, right? So it really wasn't the greatest of pools. Um, but I mean, what kept me there again was the team and uh, the atmosphere that um, kind of brings Canadian athletes probably to the States. Um, I was lucky to have a really, really, really great team. Uh, yeah, I don't regret it. Uh, one thing that was, I just always stands out in my brain is we actually swam outside. So our indoor pool wasn't the greatest, but our outdoor pool, we actually had a full uh, 50 meter outdoor pool and we swam outside until uh, October 31st. We swam in the snow, which was very interesting. So October 31st or whatever the weekend fell, um, that would be our last outdoor practice. And um, that Saturday, we always have a football game going as well. So it was always neat to see um, people walking by, kind of poking their heads in through the gate, seeing what we were doing, um, just being interested in swimming, right? Because like you said before, it's not as much of a popular sport. It's become a little bit more well-known, um, especially after, I mean, Michael Phelps in uh, 2001 broke that world record, right? In the 200 butterfly. Um so I think after that happened, a lot more people kind of have an idea of what the sport is, but yeah, it was, it was really, really cool to move into our cozy indoor pool. <laughs> so was it just one, was there a break uh, to allow for uh, like the next, uh, like essentially a fake wall so you could push off to go the other distance? Mm, yeah. So they're, they're called bulkheads. <laughs> So they actually, they move in the pool. Um, they're a, a floating wall, essentially. Um, if you've ever been, well, for the people in Ottawa, if you've ever been to uh, the Defiant Sportsplex, uh, it's kind of like, it's that white and black. Um, it looks like a big giant buoy that goes from wall to wall. And you can actually move it back and forth to adjust the pool length. So uh, here in Canada, I, not many schools, <laughs> uh, if I can think, have a dive team. Uh, so what was it like uh, to be part of a, a swim team with a dive team. That's not really something you, you hear about in Canada. Mm, um, I think it was just an added bonus, to be honest. Um, they were a great, traveled with us as well. So anytime we'd go to competition, it would be the swim and dive uh, team that would go. Um, but yeah, I think it was just an added bonus. It was really, really cool to see. I mean, I can't imagine flinging myself off at a 10 meter platform, <laughs> but different kind of crazy. <laughs> but it was neat to just watch and kind of learn um, the sport of diving because I really didn't know much about it before before I went to the States. Now, you might not know this. Uh, this is just a question off the top of my head. But here sure. in Canada, if you want to do diving, you join a dive club. And then you can go on further into potentially the Olympics. Now, are there uh, are some divers from uh, American NCAA? Do they uh, kind of move on 
to compete in the high level, uh, like the Olympics, uh, or is it more like clubs? Um, so in the States, they definitely do have, um, people move on from that uh, college team uh, into the Olympics. Uh, one I can rhyme off the top of my head. He swam for Purdue University, I'm pretty sure. His name's David Badaya, um, but he, he's been to the Olympics. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he's been close to winning medal, if not has won a medal at the Olympic Games. Uh, so pretty neat. He was part of my conference and, and, and made it to uh, that higher level of, of sport to the Olympic Games. Yeah. Awesome. I'm happy you know the answer because I, <laughs> I had no, no idea. Canada? In Canada, I couldn't tell you. I have no idea um, what would happen on a university team. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I think it's more you just go to a dive club and then they, you kind of progress from there because yeah. it's not one of those popular sports in <laughs> university. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, so now you've talked about uh, different strokes. So um, <laughs> We've heard from Theo. Uh, was it kind of the same for uh, NCAA? There's the the kind of the the main uh, strokes and distances. Uh. Um, the only difference is it's yards, right down um, down in the in, with the NCAA. Um, but all the strokes are the same. Um, all the rules are the same. Um, but it's just the length length of. Um, race, I guess we'll call it. Uh, so in the States, because it's yards to kind of even out with the meters, um, they do a 1550. So a yard, uh, a mile, not a yard. <laughs> they do a, a 50, uh, it's a 1550 yard race, which is about a mile. And uh, instead of a 1500 meter race, um, as well in the States, instead of a 400, they'll do a 400 meter story. They'll do a, a 500 yard race. So this is more so the distance freestyle. Uh, that's kind of where I lean towards uh, while swimming. So it was a bit different trying to adjust to just the amount of times I had to go up and down the pool. Um, it was a bit different, but yeah, everything's the same except for the yardage versus uh, meters. So what, uh, what was your favorite uh, stroke and distance to compete in? Yeah. Um, so in club days, it actually kind of changed over time. Um, in club days, I really, really liked uh, the 400 meter and the 800 meter freestyle. Um, those were my absolute favorites. Um, they were not the longest, but not the shortest, uh, kind of in the middle. Um, but I swam very much. It took me a little bit to get going. So this is why I was never a sprinter. Um, my coach always laughed when I had to swim a 50 meter freestyle, especially in uh, uh, the 50 meter pool. So just one length of the pool, one shot. Um, he would always laugh and say, you just kind of like gradually got going and, and never really got going before you hit the wall. <laughs> so uh, these um, distances and freestyle was my favorite stroke at the time. Um, was kind of the right fit for me. Um, yeah. And then in university, I, I actually switched to the uh, 200 yard backstroke, which I really, really enjoyed doing uh, because I became really, really good at underwaters. Um, so pushing off, doing that flip turn at the wall and then kicking out. Um, I became really, really good at that. And um, it just became one of my favorites. And then I, same as, my club team so same kind of distance I like distance freestyle but I picked up the backstroke just as a bonus 
So how many different uh, events were you able to compete uh, at competitions? Were you stuck with uh, kind of one stroke or were you allowed to, to do different ones? Um, so going back to, it's very different between club and university. Um, cause club, my coach coaches, I guess, had the mentality that, um, even though you hate it, you have to swim it at least once a year. So everyone was stuck <laughs> swimming that stinking 200 meter butterfly, which I absolutely detested. I did not like it. It was not, that was not my stroke of choice would never be. But then on the flip side, everyone was stuck doing that 1500 meter, right? That 1500 meter distance freestyle. So um, it was really nice to be able to kind of learn what I liked and learn what I didn't like. Um, but for the most part, you, because of my coaches that forced us to do everything that I actually got my first junior national cut. Um, I swam the 1500 meter freestyle and um all of a sudden I see my coach kind of freaking out on the side of the pool, like waving a flutterboard, like get going, get going. Um, and I made that junior national cut because I was just thrown into the 1500 meter freestyle. So that's the story of how I became a distance swimmer, <laughs> but yeah, just kind of thrown in and uh, was really, really fortunate to make that uh, junior national cut. But like I said, club and university, very different uh, university. You swim what you're good at. You don't, really branch out like I never swam the butterfly <laughs> university my coaches uh where I was like thank god I, I pretty much drowned every time I had to swim it <laughs> yeah so I stuck to those distance freeze and um those backstrokes in, in university so uh you did more than one competition uh did you have to post qualifying times to make it in certain events uh, like the Big Ten Championship or you, were you just entered in? Sorry, you cut out there, Justin. Oh. Uh, so <laughs> you did different competitions uh, throughout the year. Uh, did you have to post qualifying times uh, to make certain events at the Big Ten Championship or were you just entered in? Um, so there weren't really times that you needed to make um, to do certain events at the uh, Big Ten Championships, um, but you did have to qualify and you had to make the team in general every year. Um, so there were comparable times um, to um, Big Ten, like what could have been raced at the Big Ten um, that you had to make before you could even think about going to the Big Ten and uh, keep moving with um, the team for the year. So th there was uh, always a qualifying. Um, I think it was probably, oh gosh, when would it have been? Probably beginning of November. That's usually when you had to qualify. But yeah, if you didn't make that qualifying team time, you didn't proceed with the year. You didn't go to that Big Ten championship and you actually uh, didn't really practice with the team. Uh, now, did you, uh, after your first year, did you stay down there to train or did you come back to Ottawa and train mm -hmm. there? So I actually, um, for my first two years, so after freshman year, uh, first year university, sorry, um, I came back to Canada and, and trained with my club team. Um, same thing after freshman year, I did come back and train with my club team because um, I didn't really want to stay alone in the dorms by myself. <laughs> But um, by third year university, I actually moved away from the dorms and got an apartment with uh, two, two good friends uh, on the swim team. And um, 
that's that year. So after third year, I stayed in the States um, and trained with the team. So did you uh, ever make it past the Big Ten Championship? I'm not sure if there is an all-conference kind of national championship. Um, Yeah. So in the States, no, I I never made it past the Big Ten Championships. Um, I never got those NCAA. Unfortunately, I never did get there. Now, you were on a small team uh, on a massive school campus. Uh, What could you you've already a little bit described it what what is the what would you describe what it's like to be a student athlete at a large school um how do you describe that whole macro um i don't know it's kind of hard to describe to be honest with you um because it it was kind of not like any experience i had had before um as a Canadian athlete prior to going to the States. Um, but the one thing that I can kind of describe is just kind of the connected kind of atmosphere or connectedness we had with the other athletes. Um, we were essentially one, regardless if you were a basketball, a football, a soccer, tennis player, like if you were walking around with that Michigan State gear that said swimming and diving or whatever it is, um, you always had someone to talk to or someone to sit beside in class. Like it, it was kind of that inclusive and open atmosphere that I guess that's what I'm trying to describe. It was it was really, really cool. Now, would you say you were uh, kind of noticed? Um, uh, obviously, having the, the gear help. Mm-hmm. Um but would you be noticed, uh, maybe not on the same level, because football and basketball are just high you know, level. Yeah, high level. Say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but would you say you'd be like, oh, be like, oh, hey, yeah, you're Rachel, or yeah, you're on the swim team. Uh, was it like that level of being noticed on campus, or was because the campus was so big that you might mm-hmm. be able to kind of lay low, like you're a hockey player in Florida? not get noticed a little bit yes um it was more so the um other student athletes i think that would ask questions it wasn't really the um i don't want to call them regular students but just the other students that would ask questions um i'll never forget though for one of um, my classes we had to do a presentation Uh, i think it was just like a english class that we were all required to take and weren't so jazzed about taking Um, but i actually did it on swimming and a couple of different of those fast racing suits um so they've got like that paper texture almost and um i brought in men's and women's and i'll never forget uh, a guy in my class held up this swimsuit and goes holy cow this is tiny i said well yeah that's about your size because with racing swimsuits you actually (laughs) you actually buy almost two to three times too small um to race in so I just, his jaw dropped and I'll never forget that. It was, it was hilarious. Like, <laughs> but yeah, I'd say athletes would more so ask those questions and um, ask who you are and things like that. But other students, not so much. So you've talked about uh, going to uh, football games in that atmosphere. What mm-hmm. could you describe? You've been to CFL and NCAA football games. 
what is just that that extra special thing that makes NCAA uh, so regarded, especially in the United States? Yeah, um, I don't really know what goes, what happens when it's college football day, but holy mackerel, <laughs> it's floods and floods of people. Every age group you can think of just comes to campus and it's one just ginormous party. Like it's crazy just to see um, the school spirit that comes with it. Um, people are just so excited to come back to campus. They might have graduated maybe like, I don't know, 40 years ago and they're back just to say hi and see who's there and how the football team's doing, things like that. But it's just this ginormous party that everyone's there with immense um, school spirit that it's just so, so cool to see. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. It's just wild. <laughs> You can hear it from miles too, the sound coming from the stadium. Uh, did your school ever host a, a, a meet? Yeah, we did. Yep. Um, so we kind of take turns. So say uh, another Big Ten school, we were swimming against the University of Illinois. So we'd actually flip flop back and forth between what pool we would compete at. So one year we would do Illinois and the next year we would do Michigan State. So it just depended on the year and, and where were we going. Um, and then the Big Ten Championship, it would rotate through uh, pools as well, um, just to kind of give everyone that chance. Uh, unfortunately, because our pool wasn't the greatest indoor pool, uh, we never hosted a Big Ten Championship. Um, well, the time I was there, I think back in the early like 50s, they might have had uh, big championships at the pool. But yeah, we, we were always traveling and flip-flopping back and forth between pools and, and where we were going. Now, fast forward to your last year. What was that like? Uh, was it, did it feel a little different than the others? Uh, did you maybe uh, kind of get into that reminisce mode? Like, oh, this is going to be my last one, my last competition. Uh, what was that last year like? Um. Bittersweet. It was really bittersweet. A lot of people ask me even now, do I miss swimming? It's it's really bittersweet because I did it for so long. I did it for 13 years. Yeah, 9 to 22. I did it for about 13 years. And um, I just felt like it, I, I was good. I, I was ready for a break. Um, it, it just, it was kind of, it was kind of nice in the sense that I didn't have to get up at 4.30 in the morning anymore. And I could go out on Friday night and not have to worry about Saturday morning practice and just kind of enjoy that last little bit of university that, that was left essentially, right? Um, but I, I do miss it, to be honest. Uh, it's that competitive, I guess, earlier. I, I do miss that racing and, and the team and things like that. But I don't know. Maybe someday I'll get back in the pool and do some laps, but I don't think I'll, I'll ever race again. I think that's a chapter in my life that, uh, but yeah, it was time for a change. I think time for something new and I guess maybe to grow up a little bit. <laughs> so uh, do you think that swimming is one of those sports that go through uh, a cycle of care level? Uh, like you mentioned before, having Michael Phelps uh, has increased the, I guess, awareness of swimming as a whole. Yeah. But do you think that uh, through the general population that kind of swimming goes through these cycles of when it's close to the Olympics and the Olympics, a lot of people care. And then 
those two years after it's just kind of blah yeah. and waiting for the next high absolutely uh, I, I do. I think um, when the Olympics come around, everyone's like, oh, what's going to happen this year? Um, who's new in the pool? Things like that. Um, but it, it's not, to be honest, it's not an exciting sport to watch. <laughs> Maybe the sprints. Uh, so like the 50 meter <laughs> or the 100 meter, it's super quick and fast and it's over in a blink of an eye. But I mean, sitting for 15 minutes watching someone swim a 1500 meter freestyle, it's not the most exciting, right? Um, so I get it. I get why it, it's uh, a big thing during Olympic time. Um, and kind of, you lose a little bit of touch with it. Well, in the downtime, we'll say, but yeah, um, it's, it's pretty big at the Olympic times, but we'll slow down and, and that's okay. Because like I said, I get it. Not so much a fun sport to watch. <laughs> I always felt bad for my mom and dad when they come watch me and, uh, from start to finish for our, our prelims. Um, just finals was a different story. Um, on that, I mean, like you're sweating to death on a pool deck. It's not the most fun. Um, but yeah, I think those Olympics and I guess even the finals way more exciting to watch because there's just that many less people and uh, times to sit, sit around and watch, but it's, it's more exciting, I guess, that, that excitement and, and what's going to happen. Who's the new um, star, I guess, every year, who's going to beat Michael Phelps, that, that kind of thing. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely excited to see uh, where to go next year. Cause I think we've got some pretty good Canadian athletes uh, in our pockets. I think you are correct. And I think this <laughs> extra year, in a way helps I think maybe not all mm -hmm. athletes because a lot of them get into that four-year cycle where they they were really ramping up and then thrown in but I, I think swimmers are very good at adapting we kind of have to be with uh, different pools and scenarios so mm -hmm. I think the swimmers will be okay uh, but do you think swimming needs another superstar sure why not like like I said um that's why we keep watching, right? To see who's going to be the biggest and best and who's going to beat that, that all-star uh, swimmer, not even swimmer, the all-star athlete, right? Um, I don't know who it's going to be. Like I said, we've got, we've got a few good Canadian athletes in our pocket, but of course we always need someone to beat out the best. It's, it's that competition that we all have and, and um, see where the sport will go and what records broken, things like that. So of course, we we always need that that uh that new role model, that better athlete, that underdog that comes through. Do you think the next uh, swimming superstar uh, will be a woman swimmer? Ooh, that would be really cool. Um, because off the top of my head, I'm thinking of male athletes, right? Like you think of Phelps, you think of Ian Thorpe, um, Tewksbury, Mark Tewksbury in Canada. So the, like those are male athletes that I think of. Um, but even recently you think of Penny Alexiak. She's a Canadian all-star athlete. Um, she's a swimmer. She's doing really, really well. Um, so why not? Why couldn't we have a female kind of take that, uh, the sunlight or the spotlight? I think it's time. <laughs> why not? Why not? Uh, do you think being uh, successful at the Olympics uh, in swimming anyways makes it easier for those athletes to get noticed uh, for other things like sponsorship? 
um, because unlike basketball or football or hockey, uh, there's no professional swimming league. Uh, not, not like, uh, not like the major sports here in North America. Um, so do you think, uh, Mm -hmm. swimming is up there with, uh, sprinting, uh, and even basketball at the summer uh, Olympics uh, for being uh, getting those popular athletes because it, like you said, those sprinting, it's so fast, you know, it's mm-hmm. over really quickly so people can consume it. Uh, do you think it, it's a good way for, for athletes to kind of advance themselves? For sure. Um, absolutely. Um, especially when the Olympics come around, like it's, it's something that a lot of people strive for. Right. And um just being noticed by that many people um, will it, like increase your likelihood of getting that sponsorship or um, being noticed by millions or even billions of people, right? Um, because when you think about it, swimmers, they compete like at the Olympics, the rest of us. So if you have that senior national cut, um, Olympic athletes will be there and uh, you'll be racing against them if, if, if you're lucky. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think not having that Friday night, uh, hockey game every night or every week. Um, yeah, it, it might be a bit harder, but I don't know. Everyone, if, if, I guess if you're a swimmer and you're consistently looking at who's the best and who is in the spotlight, then you know, but the general public, I, I, yeah, I, it's not as in the, in everyone's front in the front of everyone's mind right they wouldn't think to just show up at some national <laughs> national <laughs> swimming they're like oh there's uh brent hayden or whoever right so yeah maybe maybe a bit harder i'd say uh what is your favorite part of watching swimming whether it be the olympics or uh, a you know world championship uh, good question to ask after I bash how boring swimming is to watch. <laughs> um, anytime a friend is in the pool is when I enjoy watching swimming, to be honest. So if I know that person, or even if it's just plain Jane, a Canadian athlete at the Olympics, that's what I enjoy uh, watching and and seeing how my friends improving their times. Um, that's when I really, really enjoy watching swimming. Do you think you enjoy watching swimming more than other Olympic uh, events because you know what it's what it takes uh, or what that athlete is kind of going through? Uh, Do you do you find that you can connect more? So watching it kind of gets you that more excited or amped up compared to uh, a track or javelin or something. (laughs) Maybe. just me personally, um, I watch, I don't know what's an Olympic sport. I watch the horseback riding or I watch the mogul skiing just to go to a winter sport. Um, I don't get it. I don't get what it feels like to put that, I guess the effort in to become that Olympic athlete. So maybe, maybe it's easier for me and more fun for me to watch swimming. Uh, Cause I, I do get that mentality of what you have to put into it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I maybe maybe i'm not sure yeah <laughs> yeah i don't understand uh, a lot of sports so <laughs> i still love to watch it the olympics i, I mean 
you're looking for, you're looking at the best in the world, right? So even if I'm watching that horseback riding or that mogul skiing, like I mentioned, um, it's really, really cool to see um, what people can do. So I'm sure others feel the same way. It's that Olympic, just the aura that brings everyone together. Mm-hmm. If you don't normally watch horseback riding, uh, even no. though CBC shows the uh, the Ian Miller classic every year, you yeah. don't really watch it. But as soon as the Olympic, you put that Olympic name, you're like, oh yeah, let's watch it. Yeah, we got to see what happens because he was there last year. We got to see if he becomes better or wins that gold or whatever medal again, right? So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think the Olympics is just a different beast in a sense. And final question, uh, are you excited uh, for next year's Olympics? <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah, I, I always get excited uh, for the Olympics. Um, yeah, absolutely. Why not? Because like I said, it's I'm watching sports I wouldn't normally watch and I don't understand, but maybe some diver didn't have a splash and they didn't get a high enough score or what I thought they should score. I'm still yelling at the TV being like, oh, that's not fair. <laughs> But um, yeah, absolutely. I, I love the Olympics. Um, I love watching all the sports and uh, just seeing what people can do. It's just amazing. Well, that's uh, that's going to do it. Thank you so much, Rachel, for coming on, giving us the insight of uh, what it's like to be a athlete uh, on the other side of the border uh, and uh, getting a little insight into <laughs> that NCAA, uh, what it means to be an NCAA athlete. Yeah. So thanks uh, for coming on. No worries. Thanks for having me, Justin. It was uh, kind of reminiscing, speaking about what I used to do and kind of nice to remember little things like getting my first national cut or maybe my coach yelling at me in the pools, things, little things like that. It was really neat to kind of think back and remember uh, how much I put into it. Thank you so much, Rachel, for coming on and giving us that insight that a lot of new stuff that I learned. So if you know someone who's interested or wants to go down to the States to be an NCAA athlete, or if you know someone who's interested in doing sports here in Canada with U Sports, give a listen to uh, the past two episodes and uh, tell them the information or send them the link to the show to listen up. Or if they have any, any questions, feel free to email us at sportsunitypodcast at gmail.com and we can pass on those questions to Theo and Rachel. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Sports Unite podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Lost last week's. We re-record. We're back on track. And we're heading towards episode 25. The magic episode 25 where we're going to be giving away something very special. But I want it to be huge. So let's share the podcast. Let's expand. Tell your friends. Share it every time we do a post. Go to our social media page. Give a like. Uh, We are currently in five different countries. Let's go to eight. Or heck, let's go double digits. Let's go to ten. Let's make this thing go huge, as big as possible, uh, this little podcast. Let's keep it going uh, so that I feel like I'm making something uh, out of this and not just talking into the microphone uh, for the internet to maybe listen. So... Please give a like on our social media. If you have any questions or suggestions for a show, give us uh, an email. Again, sportsnightpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're going to be doing a Q&A episode soon, so 
Give us uh, your questions on social media or through the internet. Let's share the heck out of this thing because the more people that listen, and I do watch, the bigger our giveaway is going to be. So let's get this thing going up. We're going to be doing some exciting stuff going forward. We have our Olympic recap or sports uh, introduction. If you don't know all the sports for the Summer Olympics, that's going to be starting on World Sport Day. We have a fandom series coming up. So we're going to be uh, talking with fans of different sports, different teams to see what it's like to be a fan, the ups and downs, uh, depending on where you are in the country, uh, different sports, what it's like, your emotions, uh, giving you that real core uh, just an everyday person who really likes a team and what they go through. Uh, so that's coming up soon. We have our reoccurring guests, uh, Alvaro, will be coming back. We'll have JT back. We have so many things coming up. So stay tuned. It's getting crazy. Winter's coming. So you'll just have more inside time to listen, of course. Uh, and you'll have that lull in between uh you know, most of the sports not commencing uh, after a, a few weeks. So stay safe, get outside while the weather's nice and fall is so nice. Go apple picking if you can. Enjoy the crisp air. Carve pumpkins. Love carving pumpkins. Uh, send us your pumpkin pictures. Love to see different designs that you are doing. So that's going to do it. Thank you so, so much for listening. Let's share the heck out of this podcast. Thank you again, Rachel and Theo, for coming on. Stay safe. Big air hugs from myself and to all the loved ones. Uh, and until we can see each other in person, stay safe and sport on. <laughs>